up, everyone? My name is Joshua, and welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund and Connie Whitman. You guys are in for a treat. This is one of the most special human beings that I have ever met, one of the most brilliant salespeople I've ever met, one of the most kind, inspiring, and just the a guru of sales, of marketing, of business. I, I just, I'm absolutely in awe of this person. I've got that, had the opportunity to work with her at a media conference just a couple of weeks ago. And I gotta tell you, just absolutely blown with just everything about her. We've had multiple conversations. Her insight, her wisdom is already have, has had a huge impact on me. And I personally think that if you're looking to go in sales, you're looking to go into business for yourself, you're already in business for yourself, you're looking for a new career, any of that, you're gonna wanna listen to this interview because she is full of wisdom. And for, four, I think it's 40 years that she has been at the top of her game and she still has all of the energy of an 18 year old. It's amazing. So you guys are in for a treat today, please enjoy. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund and Miss Connie Whitman. I am so excited to have you here, Connie. I am just, as I said in the introduction, I just love you. I had the best experience ever with you at a media conference of all things, because conferences are just awful typically, but this was amazing. And I got so much one-on-one -on -one time with you, group time with you, and just really got to see what you're all about. And I've got to tell you, I've never liked a salesperson until I met you. So I'm very <laughs> grateful to have you here. But before we get into all that, can you tell us, what are you grateful for today and why? I have heat. <laughs> That's a good one. Up, I'm on the East Coast, Jersey. So it's winter here. And Joshua, I woke up and I'm like, oh, it was a little chilly today. It was 64 in the house. We keep our house fairly cold. But my husband said the heat's out and it's supposed to get like sub-zero over the weekend. So we need it. So the guy came, did whatever he did. And amen, we have heat. So yes, very grateful that I'm a little toasty. I want to see if, <laughs> I can, if you can see. A, oh, you can't see out the window. We have a glare. We have, ten, I think it's 10 feet of snow and ice now. And it's just, this whole backyard is a nature's preserve. And it, it is gorgeous to look at, but it is freaking cold outside. So I'm grateful also for heat. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally. Right. So you live in New Jersey. Or did you yes. grow up there? I did. I'm a Jersey girl. So there's a saying, I'm a Jersey girl and I don't pump gas. I think I, I think there's one other state in the United States where you have an attendant who puts uh, who does the gas. So I don't pump gas. <laughs> oh my gosh! So that's a thing. I dated a girl before I met Jessica. I dated this girl when I was back in Oklahoma for a little. It took a short time. She was from Jersey, and she was like, "I don't pump my own gas." And I thought she was lying to me. It's a thing. It's a thing. Uh, wow, a thing. that's kind of yeah. nice, didn't it? Yeah, I, it's great, especially in the winter. Get up and do my thing. The laws that we have state to state are so strange to me. They're just like, I love looking at some of those, like uh, the strange laws that state to state they have. And there's always just something goofy. Like you can't walk your chicken across the road or you can't yes. pump your own gas. It's just so strange. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's not why you're here to talk about chickens and pumping nope. gas. But I am, like I, again, I'm never with any of my broadcasts really enjoy talking to salespeople because it's, 
a lot of the same crap with just different yep. wording, but it's the same system. And I want to get you into my system and I got the five point plan. I don't get that feeling from you. I really get this really heartfelt, providing quality service, providing what people need, not what they don't, no trickery, just a straightforward, honest approach, but at the same time with the best interest of who you're working with in mind always. And I never get that feeling from other salespeople, but I got to ask you, like, where does that come from? Because that makes you like a dolphin in a tank full of sharks. This is a great question. And I'm glad first, I loved meeting you and Jessica too at Shannon's Media Magic. A little shout out to Shannon. I meet salespeople and I walk away thinking, well, I need a shower now because you feel that ick, right? And I just want to share a story because what you said is really true. And I didn't know I was selling when I was selling. So this is why it's interesting. When I first started out 40 years ago, I know I look good, right, Joshua? I look good. Yeah, you do. You got good, amazing skin. We've talked about it. I love Yes, I know. My Italian olive oil and water people. That's what you need in your diet. Anyway, I start when I started out after college 40 years ago, I got a job with a credit company and they were car dealerships across the New Jersey. Oh, so I was in charge of the lease department. And back then in the 80s, nobody knew what a lease was, let alone that it was very advantageous for a business owner. They can actually write off the entire car payment versus just miles and stuff like that. So I was getting deals in from the dealerships and I would call them back and say, hey, listen, you have a business owner. I think it's better if you run the le- do a lease with them. They can write it off. Blah, blah. I told them all the benefits. And their response was, we don't know how to do the calculation. I'm like, pull out your calculator. We did not have computers back then. Pull oh, out yeah. your calculator. <laughs> we actually had to do plus <laughs> signs and division, right? <laughs> and so I taught them how to do the calculation. Fast forward, they started doubling, tripling their revenue coming in because more businesses as they were. And then they were like, now we have to call the business owner back. I'm like, dude, call the business owner back. And this is what you say. You're helping them out, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward. The dealer made more money. The person, the salesperson made more money. And the business owner was thrilled because they got to write the entire payment off. They started referring their friends to that salesperson. So the position came up within the credit company for a sales position. All these dealers, all these guys are calling me, Connie, you're applying, you're applying. I go, what are you talking about? Why would I apply for a sales position? They go, you're great at sales. I go, I am? Joshua, I had no idea. I was teaching them how to sell, but what was I doing? The right thing for the business owner, the right thing for the salesman. I was just sharing information that was vital and that actually made money for them. I had no idea I was selling. So fast forward, my whole career has been based on that same premise. I go in, I understand the situation, and then I customize my recommendations or I introduce people to people they really need if they don't need me. And that has just served me very well over, especially 20 years in business now. I'm blessed because I'm re- I live off referrals because I always do the right thing. So thank you for noticing that. It sticks out to me. And the contrast of it, it to me is a kind of polarizing because you don't, I don't see that often. I see it in my mother, my mother, the way that she sells real estate, which had a profound influence on me. And then she learned that from her mom in real estate. And I grew up with that. My dad was more of a shark and slick salesman, but he was still, he was an honest salesperson. Yeah. My, but he was definitely a shark. My mother is sells through service. 
And that was always more attractive to me because it feels good to serve. Me, I'm, I can come across pretty aggressive. So when I try to sell, it comes across really inauthentic. And I think a lot of that has to do with my heart is just really wanting to help. Like it's really what I care about and what drives me. But I wanna ask you something. How, like, the way that you do business feels good. It, because yes. you're putting people first, you're serving, yes. you're offering value, you're taking care of yourself, but you're still offering value. And that feels good. How in the world did we get to this place where greed felt better than doing right by people? Because every time I've been greedy in my life, which has been a lot, and I was a scumbag in, at one point in my life. So like, <laughs> I get it, but I can honestly say it didn't feel good. None of it ever felt good. I always felt dirty. And it had a lot to do with why I took refuge in drugs and every other excess I could find. It didn't yep. feel dirty. And there seems to be a correlation with that because when you think of salespeople, especially stock trading and like high energy sales stuff, you got to take something to keep you going. There's a, the lifestyle is not sustainable, even though people get addicted to it. But where did that separation come from? Because I can't believe that it's always been this way. I think a couple of things. Movies like Wolf of Wall Street, the new one with De Niro. Oh, that made off. Wizard, the Good. Wizard. It's called The Wizard, okay? Because yeah. he made off with people's money, literally. You had the movies way back in the 80s. I think it was called Glen Gary, Glen Ross, which was always be closing. Yeah. So we grew up on these movies of slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. That's sales. The other thing is we've all been duped, right? I've been ripped off. You've been ripped off. We've all been had, if you will, where we bought something thinking we were getting one thing. And in reality, we got another. So for me, sales isn't only just about making the sales. It's what happens after that exchange of contract money, right? Whatever consummates the sale, the deliverables it's, is what makes the sale a real sale or not. And unfortunately, those movies, when people get into sales, they think it's all about the money. I have to be liked. They have to like me. Then they'll buy for me. And then it doesn't matter if I deliver or not. And we are becoming hypersensitive, especially in this digital realm where people just aren't delivering what they're saying. And I see it over. And, you know, not for nothing, Joshua, but even people that I've worked with that I've hired since COVID, I had to pivot and shift my business. So I had to learn a lot. I was behind the eight ball and I hired people. And after the fact, I thought, wow, that wasn't what they sold me. And so even me being hypersensitive to sales and honest and not honest salespeople, I find the deliverables on the back end, most people don't deliver well. And that's a tragedy. But I think that's why we are are you ripping me off that underlying current of, I don't know, I got to think about it because it's, does it feel I'm getting ripped off, whether you're getting ripped off or not? Did that just make sense? I makes, circle there. No, it does. It, it's amazing because you talked about movies and entertainment. I'm in media from the standpoint of wanting to shift because I know it's called television for a reason, television programming for a reason. It programs us. Whether that was the intent from the beginning or not, the fact is it is very impressionable on us. It's more impressionable on us than reading a book, even though reading has power. But it's amazing, like the talking points we have, the opinions we have, it comes from what we hear and what we see on TV. And so that has quite the impression to, to further people. And I get it because I've been the same way. Like that kind of stuff drove me.
uh, the excess sex, the party, the lifestyle, the limos, the big hotel, all that stuff, because it is so attractive. It is. But at the same time, it's almost like the cost on your soul. <laughs> it obviously eliminates all of those good things. And some people have a longer ride with that than others. I'm fortunate that I learned my lesson pretty early on. Yeah. Uh, and knowing that's not all about it, but at the same time, hey, let's be honest, nice things are amazing. Yes, of course. Well, a nice suit, a nice hotel, you get better quality food. All that stuff is freaking great. It really is. But I want to ask you, how is it that we, where's the balance and where's the line between being a driven salesperson, sell, driven salesperson for good versus, and at the same time, still going for success? Like, I want to have a private plane. Not because of ego, because airports suck. And like, I want to be able to get there and go. I want to travel the world on a duck. I don't want to have to book a ticket and do all that stuff. I just want to go. I want to travel the world that way. That's a goal of mine. How can you achieve such things and yet still keep your integrity and do right by people in business? Like, how can you do both? Because from my experience, and I could be wrong here, when we put so much attention and focus on one thing and all of our energy in one place, we become delinquent in other areas. Where's the balance or how do we balance both? When we have big dreams, we want to have success, but at the same time, we want to do right by people. And I'll tell you, measure success any way you want, but I'm blessed. Again, I've had a successful career. I have a successful business. I have a fabulous family. We do what we want to do. COVID financially, we took a little bit of hit, but everything is coming back now, right? The finances are all good again. So here's my answer. And I'll just, I could just answer from my own perspective, Joshua, but I, I don't allow that line to move because it becomes a super slippery slope. I remember as a kid, my dad used to say to us, and my dad came from Italy. So this is a cool perspective. And he had three daughters and my brother, who's the oldest, but he would say to us, you could be anything you want to be. Just be the best at it and do it in integrity, do the right thing and life will be good. And to hear that over and over again as a kid, but I have to tell you, I'm teaching the same thing to my kid. Doing the right thing isn't always easy and it's not always profitable. Here's the reality. When you do the right thing, it's just good mojo. It's good vibe. And you know what ends up happening? Or at least this, again, for me, me doing the right thing, like my story that I shared before, opportunities come to me because I'm likable, but I think I'm likable because they know I'm going to tell you I'm not the right person for you. You need to meet my friend, Joshua. He's actually what you need. And so because I, and, and because I have such a huge network now, because I'm always referring and connecting and you need to meet this one and all of that, that referrals are always coming back to me. So I believe when you keep that line of integrity and you don't this one time, it's never just one time, the slippery slope is there. And at some point you, you lose where that line actually is. So that's my answer for me and how I've lived my life. So good because that carries over into everything that carries over into our, I mean, it can, it can, our Personally? personal journeys or families, it's everything. It's a microcosm for everything. And I love that because you're right. It's just like somebody that cheats. They Once you've cheated, it becomes really easy to do it again. Yep. It easy, easier and easier and easier. Same with drugs, same with anything else. It's just, right. it, so the, having the discipline to do the right thing, sometimes doing the right thing hurts. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it feels like it costs you a lot. But it's really the only way because when you don't, 
I guess if you have a soul anyway, it's exhausting to try to keep up with lies and guilt and shame and everything else. And of course, then you get older and you try to drink that stuff away. That becomes even more painful. And it's just, God, life is so much easier when you're honest and you just try to do right by people. It's just, that's what I love about you. And the fact that you've been doing this for 40 years this way, to me is truly inspiring because I look to you for myself. Like, I, you know, my story enough I do. that like my heart's to serve, but I've made a shift where if I'm going to complete and fulfill the mission that I was created to do, I get to pay for it. <laughs> and so I get to sell, I get to be in business to be able to yep. make that happen. And I'm through you and some help from you. I've been able to feel better about that. And it's actually because of you that the buy one, get one program that we launch for all of my services, because ultimately we want to give back in a big way. Yes. You help that set for me, set it in cement. So we, I dissolve my nonprofit. <laughs> I just, I, because I'm going to be very focused on the mission and the way to go about that instead of scattering my energy other places. Now I just get to focus and be about that. So you played a massive role in that. And I'm super grateful for can I comment when we met and it was the first Zoom room that the breakout that we connected and you said something very interesting. You said what you were building and you said to me, I don't want to, I don't want to sell. You said, no, you said, I'm not good at sales because I feel like, how did you put it? You said, I don't like to sell. Oh, because I feel like you're not giving up your soul, but if you sell, you can't serve. It was in, in line with that. And I said to you, that's ridiculous. If you're serving then you have to sell something to serve. You can't just serve like in La La Land, right? So what are you selling? If it's really value added for whoever the recipient is of the purchase, You, if you're not serving them, then you're not selling anything. Then shame on you for hiding your zone of genius for someone who needs you. And by the way, you got to get paid for that because that's your zone of genius and everybody isn't good out of it. So to leave that money on the table because you feel icky about it, when you know you're in integrity with what you're selling, I said, think I said to you, dude, that's in your mind, man. You got to change that mindset because depriving the world of you and the greatness that you bring to the table. And that's not cool. No, it's not. And I've come to peace, but I've also found a happy compromise. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> I know. Listen, I think I would have done really well in biblical times. So there's like operating that way. I love trading value for value. Like my favorite exchanges are, hey, you've got something to value. I've got something to value. Let's work this together. I, that is my favorite way to operate, which is there's a lot of different names for it, but it, I think it's mostly known as like a kingdom minded approach to doing things. And I love that. But at the same time, I also know that it's going to take a lot of money to build those youth media literacy centers all yes. over the world. And yes. I feel better about selling because at the same time, I know that we're giving back in the same way. So for every sell is you're getting something back or you're able to give something back. Beautiful. So that feels, and that feels good for me. I never want to do anything that doesn't feel right. And for me, this feels amazing. So that's why, but you really help with that. I love it. But that's- Because you're building, one more thing, Joshua, you're building a community that could depend on each other. And as more money comes in and you give more away, right? Buy one, the get one, you're giving more away. You're helping, your ripple effect is exponential. Here's the thing, the buy one that you're paying for, 
you have to make sure you deliver on the back end and you do. So there, there should be, you should honor that and then honor, oh, look what I get to do. I get to give away. I get to give away. I get to give away. And it gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> That's your community. That's your gift. And you're meant to do this. Yeah. I, it's, I am, I don't know. I don't know how many people sit around and go, man, I am so grateful for the gifts I've been given. Like even, I wouldn't trade my life for anyone. As ugly as most of it was, I wouldn't yeah. trade the world. What I get to do now, and it's a huge blessing to me. But this is not about me. I want to talk well, wait, I want to just want to say one other thing. You went through all of that. Wait, because no, but I just one more comment and then we go. Okay. But you are who you are and learn those lessons to be able to give so greatly because of those experiences. So there was value in the distress of them, but you are who you are and what you're giving back now because of those experiences. So it's a beautiful gift, even though it was hard at the time, it's still a beautiful gift. Yeah, and I, I wish that so many other people didn't get hurt in the process, but it, we all have our journey. We all get to learn. Like, My attitude about good and evil, even really in the last six months has even started to shift. Yes, I know that there's evil and I know that there's good, but sometimes these lines are very blurred and yeah. the way that we look at bad or evil, honest to God, like I can look at my life and go, I'm grateful I was homeless. I'm grateful I have HIV. I'm grateful I struggled with my sexuality for most of my life. I'm grateful that I overdosed. I'm grateful that I've been bankrupt. I'm grateful that I lost all of those marriages. And because every single bit of it has now taught me something that I could have never learned those lessons any other way and therefore get to be in service to others that have gone through similar things. Yeah, I agree. That, that's freaking awesome. Getting to be a part of that is, is something I do. I am very grateful for. When did, so with you, like, what is, what, tell me about your home life growing up, what it was like growing up in New Jersey as a young woman. What was that like? And what was your family dynamic like? What pushed you into sales? Are oh, you, I guess you fell into sales and not even realizing that's what you were doing. Oh, yes. But talk about that path, like leading up to that. So it's interesting because I grew up in Newark, New Jersey during the riots. Best in view the, of the city. Oh, that. Yeah, seriously. And it was during the riot. So like uh -huh. at night we would hear a gunfire. It was pretty scary. And I remember because I was the friendly one of us, there was four kids and I was the friendly one. And I would come home and say to my mom and dad, oh, it's moving, oh, moving, moving. And my dad said to my mom, I think we need to move because it just, it was getting worse and worse with each year that this riot was going on. So the other thing I want to share is living in Newark, my grandma and grandpa lived upstairs with my aunts until they got married and moved out. So it was cool because we were on the first floor and my aunts would come home from work. And we, of course, our door was open because it was family upstairs yeah. and they would come in and we got so much attention and love because it's like, how is school? What'd you learn? Show me your pictures. And so not only did my mom and dad give us all this attention and love, we had a tremendous amount of love within the house. So that if I had to say one thing about my childhood is I was always loved and supported, not again, not only by my, my mom and dad, but by my grandma and grandpa and my aunts and everybody. So that was kind of cool. Then because of the riots, my dad thought, yikes, the education, we were going to Catholic school because the education was not good in the public school. And we moved to Homedale, New Jersey, which is where all farms at the time. And I remember, I just share a funny story. We pulled off the parkway here in New Jersey, the main highway. And there was farm. So now I went from concrete with shootings that night, right? And I tap in my dad's shoulder in the back. 
I'm like, we're going to live here. Are you playing a joke on us? <laughs> I was 11, right? He goes, we're going to live here. We're going to live here. And he goes, why? And I go, it's the most beautiful place I've ever been. And we had a three bedroom ranch. My sisters and I, three of us lived in, we had one bedroom and one closet. To me, it was a palatial estate. It was the most beautiful thing. I had a backyard with a swing, like jackpot. We had arrived because we had grass in the backyard, not concrete. So again, this, the movement from the city, which by the way, I'm glad I have that city background because I do think it toughens me up, which sure. is a good thing as a woman. And then living in the farm in the suburbs, this is really where I belong and where I've raised my kids. So it's been wonderful. And the last thing I want to say is, and this is fascinating, both my husband and I, we just had our 31st wedding anniversary, happily married. I will say not just married, happily married. My family and his family and extended fan family, meaning aunts and uncles, the divorce rate is like 10%. Like we have no divorce. And so that's another, and not again, no judgment. If you're divorced, that's not what I'm saying. But I think 31 years that people look at me and is he a good guy? I'm happily, like I'd marry him again every day. But I think because we were taught through that family, again, very Italian, very family, that he, family was important to my husband. So I waited and I didn't get married till I was 30, which was another piece of the puzzle. I'm a late bloomer, I say, but we found each other and because of family that was foundationally, I think, where we started our relationship. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And that is really cool. I got to add, so did you miss having all of your family live on top of each other when you moved out to the country? No. Really? <laughs> no, but because we went Sunday, we went every Sunday, we went to see grandma and grandpa and have macaroni and meatballs. Fair enough. No, we saw them every week. Then you're in school and you're doing your other things. So I still got to see them. It wasn't a big shift. No. Is I've always admired that this is the thing I hate about being a, I'm Norwegian and Native American, but basically I'm a white dude from Oklahoma. And the whole family, keeping family together, like I was divorced everywhere. And so I didn't, I've always looked at like the Italian families and Jewish families and even Lebanese families and any, anywhere but America, actually. Families stick together no matter what. They'll kick each other's ass. They'll fight. They'll pull each other's hair out. They'll curse at each other. They'll say, F you, I hate you, blah, blah, blah. And then literally come back together, break bread everything's normal. It seems so dysfunctional to observe. My brother's been married to a Lebanese woman and now a Persian woman that is very big families. See him fight. I've seen him fist fight. I've seen him do all this stuff, but I got to tell you, they stick together no matter what. And it is, I just honor it. I've been divorced so many times. Like I got no feel for what family sticking together is. At all. Like, that's what I'm hoping to do with my family is like start over and start new and can be more like a Jewish Italian family. And because I'm attracted to that because my God, it's we live in a world where it's so hard to know what to trust. If you got family, then that, that feels good. And you know what, Joshua? It's that line that we were talking about before. I think that the media, I think that I think social media is one of the biggest demises of marriage. Because you look up an old boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm not saying that this is always the case because I'm certainly not an expert on it. 
But I think it's that line again, well, what's the big deal if I connect with him on Facebook or her on Facebook and then the flirting starts and what have you. And then what happens is you start seeing all the flaws in your marriage. And I'm going to share with you, 31 years has not been woohoo, happy, yippee kaye for 31 years. We've had the ebbs and the flows and it took a lot of work and we went through counseling. When my kids reached a point and I looked at my husband one day and I go, do we belong together? What do we still have in common other than the kids? And I thought, I think we need to go to counseling because are we going to do this or are we going to do this together? And yeah. that was the best thing we could have done. But again, it was because I had confidence in myself and I had confidence in him. Are we going to stick after the kids are grown? Are we going to be together? Do we want to be together? And the answer was yes. After when we went through counseling, right? We realized why we originally fell in love. Life is freaking hard, man. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I think people check out before putting the effort in because we don't know any better. And it, and maybe because I did grow up in a very solid family foundation, as did my husband, that was our go-to verse. Hey, let me look up my old boyfriend. Again, no judgment from anything I'm saying. It's, I just can speak from my perspective. But so good, but that perspective translates into all of these other areas. Basically what in social media is a sign that says the grass is greener. Yeah. Looking at someone's profile because they're only given highlights. That's right. What's being programmed into us is this perfect bullshit life that it doesn't exist, but I gotta tell you, it's easy to be victim of it. It's easy to go. They don't have dimples on their butt. Never, yes, you're right. made, uh, He's not bald or it's just, but, or he's making more money than I am. It, and or he could provide for me or she can do this or whatever it is. It's just like this sign. It's like the grass is greener, come over here. And it's psychological warfare because it is. that way you're like, your poop is still going to stink somewhere else. That's right. You just, I, but, and I was that way because most of my relationships leading up to Jessica were, I wasn't healthy. I wasn't in my right mind. I yeah. didn't know who the heck I was. I mean, there's a list of reasons that I had no business being in a relationship to begin with, but yet. I was so codependent, needed to be in the relationship, even though I was a cheater and wasn't faithful or anything else. And, but I was always looking for what was better. Yeah. Because I always knew that I was settling. And that's not to be offensive to any of my exes, but you would admit too that you didn't want to be with me. So it's okay. I'm not bad mouthing, but we weren't aligned. We didn't share a vision. We didn't have. Our hearts were not even aligned. That's right. And yet we're trying to make this work. Of course, people are going to look elsewhere. There's that element of it. But then the psychological warfare from what you're, like what you're saying with social media, it's tough. It's I, tough. I'm practicing something with my own life and it's causing a lot of disruption, but disruption can be good. And one yeah. of those things is being conscious, like conscious eating, conscious about what I'm doing, where I'm at, being present. And that comes with, having to hide my phone from myself and anything else that could serve as a distraction yep. because I want to be present because I figure that when I'm present, at least I know what's real. What do you think about? I agree. And here's the other thing, being present. Holy crap. It takes effort and work every day because your awesome. email, your phone, we're always getting pinged and ponged and whatever. And it's exhausting because here's the other thing. You can't fit it all in a day. My to-do list is probably about a bazillion on it. 
but I know at the core, I'm never going to get to all of them. So every day I choose what is the priority for me today, whatever my mental capacity is that day, if I'm fatigued or not, whatever, whatever. And whatever my other commitments are too, right? How much energy do I have to give to X, Y, and Z? You got to reprioritize every day. But at the end of the day, you cannot respond to everything and be everywhere and be everything for everyone. So to stop and pause and breathe and really discern what am I, what should I be doing today? What do I want to do today? Honoring your commitments as well. But we have to be present every day. Freaking hard, Joshua. It's hard, man. Yeah, it's hard enough just during my quiet time. You're not even be present there. It is a yeah. new discipline. Because it, I grew up in front of a TV when I ate. Even if we were doing family dinner, like TV or some kind of noise and distraction was on. And then, of course, then phones come into play and so forth. Yeah. I'm really trying to get back. Like, I'm all, I'm very excited about all of the changes coming. Some It's going to be disruptive. It's going to be crazy. Some people are ready for it. Some people aren't. I'm excited about all of that. But at the same time, I'm also trying to go back to pre-caveman days as much as possible in every area I can. In other words, I'll use technology, but I'm not going to be used by it. That's and right. That's kind of a new thing that I'm trying to do because mindless scrolling is so freaking easy to get caught up in. It's it's worse than a slot machine. It's just it's a nuts. So I'm that's what I'm working on because with that, when I if I'm the other thing I've noticed, and I don't know if this is the same way for you, but if I'm present, I can also hear from God. I get better ideas. I get more downloads, inspiration, 100%. whatever it may be, and I'm more yep. about what I do. Yep. 100% right across the board. One last thing. So my goal, the phone, right? We're attached to it. I think every day or whatever, or maybe every week, they send you the report of how much time you spent on your phone. My oh, yeah. average, about 20 minutes a day. Really? Yes, I, for real. I'm not even going to tell you what mine is. I, but I have one you And my husband, they all laugh because I... So I have to look something up. Now, here's the thing. I don't, my kids obviously use the phone. They're always looking things up to investigate where I can't do it on my phone. I like to do it on my computer. So that definitely inhibits it. I do not jump on Facebook at night. I do not go on to different sites and stuff to just scroll. Not my MO. If I'm reading, if I'm watching TV with my husband, I'm watching TV with my husband. If we're having dinner, we don't even, none of us pick up, my kids don't pick up their phones during dinner either. So these are all good habits I think we put in place, but these are sidearms for all of us. And we have to get, you said it, we have to get control of this and not allow it. It's a great tool. It's a tool. It can't control you. Yeah. This is, again, this is not easy stuff. It's just creating the discipline that's right for you and then committing to whatever that is. My way doesn't have to be your way at all, but what is it that you could commit to that's going to work for you in your life and the life you're trying to build with Jessica and build with your business and all these other things, your choices, man. And we all have an opportunity to make those choices. Yes, we do. Bonnie, share with everybody like what you offer to the world, plug your business, share what you do. And because we didn't spend any time on that, but I want to give you the floor, plug your business, give your pitch, whatever it may be, the floor is yours. So here's the thing, really, if anybody that's listening is a business owner or you work for an organization, I have private clients and I also do corporate training. I am sales. So if you feel that you, when the sales process or your sales approach, you feel icky or you're hesitating just call me <laughs> because trust me, like Joshua, it could be a simple conversation and I am happy to do that. 
I run, I do one-on-one coaching. I do group coaching. I do a training classes, group training classes. If somebody really feels disconnected with their sales process and they think, I know I'm leaving money on the table. I don't know where I'm missing it. I have group programs that are a little bit more affordable than the one-on-one coaching. If you feel that your sales is off, you feel like you're leaving money on the table. And what I mean by that is Joshua, you're doing the one buy one, get one. So you're more enthusiastic, which how you're approaching it, you're going to leave less money on the table. But what I find is people walk away from business because they think, oh, I can't do that for them. Can you modify what your offer is? Mm -hmm. Probably yes. And then you can make an offer, even if it's a lesser dollar amount. And what ends up happening through the process, you're building relationships and you're building those connections that more sales will come. So if any of this resonates with you, or you're just uncertain about sales and you want to have a conversation, just email me. It's Connie at changing the sales game.com. And I am always open to have a conversations, meeting new people. And again, if I can help great, if I can help, I'll tell you that. And I'll tell you who you should talk to depending on where you are in your journey, whether it's your professional career and or your business, I could talk to both. Love it. You have two podcasts too. I do. Thank you. So check out my podcast. I have changing the sales game, really business. It's very business focused. And then my other one, Joshua, you're going to be on is called enlightenment of change. And that is business, but it's a little woo in there. So we talk about the universe. We talk about mind, body, spirit, and how that translate over to our business profiles or our business personalities. So two podcasts, check them out. Love for you to subscribe and listen, get to know me better. Come and play. I love it. Connie, you're a blessing. Thank you so much for your time. Love you, kiddo. Love you too. Bye-bye.